This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show. to Friend of Maryland. My name is Kat Pauze, and this is a fat-friendly space. Today on Friend of Maryland, I reflect on being back in the studio after a short time in lockdown. I chat with Edgar Frias, a non-binary queer indigenous Latinx from Oakland, and I spotlight a piece from Rory Porter about being plus size trans femme. I'm so glad to be back in the studio, and I apologize for the several weeks of rerun and compilation episodes that have been running. Here in New Zealand, life has been relatively normal um, during this time of COVID for the most part. But we had been warned by our government that once the first community case of Delta was identified, we'd be going into a sharp and short lockdown. And sure enough, uh, about a month ago, we got a few hours notice that the country was going to be locking down. I found out last year when we did our first lockdown to eradicate the virus that my home equipment for recording wasn't really that great. <laughs> um, uh, you know, uh, I appreciate that I actually didn't hear much negative feedback um, from my lovely listeners about the poor quality of shows that I was producing during that time. But I made the decision this time that rather than producing um, more poor quality episodes, I would go ahead and run, do reruns until I was able to come back into the studio, um, assuming slash hoping that this uh, Delta lockdown would have been quick. And it was quick, especially for those of us outside of Auckland. So we are back. Uh, we're in level two, which isn't the bottom kind of everything's back to normal level. We have to wear masks uh, when we're not at home and you can only have um, up to 50 people in any given space. Um, but I'm able to be back in the studio and very pleased to be back here. I'm a bit kind of flabbergasted that it's the end of September, which means it's the final quarter of the year that's about to get started. I think kind of like the rest of you, I'm still not quite over 2020. And so the fact that 2022 is right around the corner leaves me with a lot of complicated and unresolved feelings, uh, to say the least. But I am really excited um, about the rad fatties that I've got lined up. Uh, to talk to for the rest of the year. As you know, we kicked off the United States part of the tour at the start of this year with shows in Alaska and then traveling down through Washington, Oregon and the top half of California. You're going to get one more California show today and then we are off. We're moving through um, Nevada and Utah and Idaho. 
I think we might get as far as Missouri or Missouri, I believe um, it's called by the time the year ends. Uh, but never fear, we will pick back up where we left off after the holiday season and keep going. Thank you for being with me on this journey. Uh, this tour's wrapping up its sixth year, and that's a pretty incredible thing. Joining me today is Edgar Frias, a non-binary, queer, indigenous, Latinx, and brown multidisciplinary artist, curator, educator, and psychotherapist, currently in the MFA art practice program at UC Berkeley. Edgar, thank you so much for coming on Friend of Maryland. Thank you so much, Kat. Such a gift to be on this um, podcast and so grateful to be able to connect with your communities. Well, I'm very excited to, to talk to you. You are a lot of things, not just in the way that you identify, but in the various activities that you engage in. <laughs> talk to yeah. us a little bit about kind of what's at the core of all of that. Oh, wow. Such a such a <laughs> rich question already. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. What's at the core? There's so We've much We've got at 10 the core, minutes. We've got to just dive um, in. yeah you know i think uh, definitely um healing transformation consciousness emergence i think those are definitely at the core um i'm i'm a gemini sun and i love just like learning about a lot of different things and i've also someone who's had a hard time really living this idea that i have to have one career or one job or one passion um i've always been someone who's like had many many different passions and i feel like because of the way because of that i've like found different ways to like make them my employment or make them my passion and um definitely didn't start off this way you know i i did start off first being a psychotherapist and really learning about healing and practicing for over a decade with people um as a social worker as a mental health practitioner um and then it's only been in the last few years that i've really moved into um uh, working more full time as a visual artist and also um definitely also practice like witchcraft and magic and tarot uh, so really i see all of those as intersecting um, my people are from Mexico. I'm um, indigenous, I'm Virarica, and um, definitely in my community, the idea of separating like religion and activism and art um, and healing, like it doesn't really make sense. I think they're all yeah, things that they're all kind together. of woven together in some ways. Yeah. I mean, as a fellow Gemini, I can totally understand that, <laughs> like always being drawn, you know, to so many different things and not in the like, ooh, that's shiny kind of way but in a really meaningful like there are so many things I want to be able to be passionate about and I'm angry that there's only so much time and energy and kind of capacity at any given time as to what it is I, I, I want <laughs> to be feeding into um so you're you're doing an MFA at at Berkeley which obviously is allowing you quite a lot of space kind of around that artistic visual and stuff are you finding I mean, I'm thinking about you practicing, you know, uh, psychotherapy for quite a long time, also doing your art, being in an MFA program, I would imagine has got both opportunities, but also limitations in terms of you're within a, within the institution, within a structure, within a system. Are you finding that you're able to be 
who you want to be in that system okay? Yeah, um, I've definitely, you know, one first, you know, we had COVID, right? And because of COVID, it's all been on Zoom. And um, I've definitely kind of re been repurposing my practices to be more virtual and been meeting with people online and organizing like workshops and events. And I would say I was definitely nervous um, because before getting into the master's um, program, I helped connect uh, with people in like artist residencies and um, definitely doing kind of like underground, uh, more mystical artist residencies. And a lot of people that came to these um, kind of residencies had had traumatizing experiences in art school and um, especially around spirituality or bringing in into the intuitive the embodied into an academic system that sometimes doesn't want to talk about that or doesn't believe that that that's important. Um, I definitely been nervous, but I feel like because I've internalized such a deep community of people who've um, found ways to be resilient beyond that, um, I, I really brought that into the system and I really felt confident in sharing my passions and talking about witchcraft and magic and, you know, seeing it as a serious discipline that I'm really happy to be engaging in. Um, but I definitely could not have imagined myself doing that years ago, <laughs> I feel. Um, and I have to ask just because I, I think Caleb was the one that suggested that I talk to you. Uh, are you, do you know Caleb Luna? Like, is, are you and Caleb? I do. Um, like, colleagues, classmates in the, because Caleb's not doing an MFA, but they're at Berkeley. Yeah. We actually just met for the first time a few weeks ago um, okay. because we're in different departments. Yeah. So we, um, you know, because of COVID have not been on campus, but we haven't, but we've definitely been friends of each other's online and have really um, been like supportive of each other's work. And so it was really exciting to meet them a couple of weeks ago and actually finally connect. And hopefully, you know, we'll be able to connect more now that in the fall, we're going to be going back in person to campus. I mean, I have to be honest, like as a fat person who's been involved in fat activism, for over a decade on an island with very few other like even people that would call themselves fat like the bay area has always been like <laughs> so jealous <laughs> just you know because there's there's always been such an amazing community and it's funny because it's kind of shifted between san francisco and and oakland kind of east bay um i was really lucky a couple of years ago i was out that way with my family because my dad's my dad was uh raised in Oakland he went to Berkeley my mom's a San Francisco girl so we were out there for family reasons um and I got to actually meet some of the other um fat people who were in Oakland at the time like Tigress Osborne um Sonia Renee Taylor was there at the time um oh Natalie gosh. Ingram uh, Juicy Delight like it was an amazing night that I will never ever ever forget and it, I, there are still sometimes when I look back on that with some with real jealousy like in the the real envy of the kind of physical community that mm. is present in that little tiny pocket of the world um, and just how amazing that is. And I do, I'm so hopeful and excited for you that once you actually like physically get to, <laughs> you know, get, get to be on <laughs> campus and get to be in that space and uh, cross the street to go to Wayland's, which is still there, but now mainly sells like weed related things. Um, right. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I would say like, it was actually when I moved, because I lived in the Bay years ago, and it, I actually um, 
uh, for the first time met um, kind of randomly uh, Virgie Tovar. And it was actually Virgie Tovar that like kind of really opened up my own world to the uh, fat activist world and um, body positivity and all, all the different um, ways that fat liberation's been kind of woven into different spheres. I think that was for me, one of the first kind of eye-opening experiences. Cause I definitely, I think in kind of hearing some of your own work, I've definitely just been thinking about how much I've internalized that fat phobia. And there's been a lot of work to let it go and to really see how um, pervasive it is. it is just like, you know, so many other phobias that we get internalized growing up because of the way society can be. Um, Edgar, if there are people who are keen to uh, touch into your visual art um, or to learn more about um, the witchcraft that you practice or just want to reach out because listening and they're like, oh, this is a really cool person. Are there places they can find you online? Yeah, definitely. I have a website, which is edgarfabianfrias.org. And there you can find um, like uh, past projects I've worked on and also links to my social media. I also have a link tree, which is link tree and then slash backslash Edgar Fabian Frias again, all together. And that's mostly my name on social media, although um, I am on Twitter at Edgar underscore Frias underscore. So it's a little different. Uh, but yeah, definitely my website. It's like the main portal where you can kind of really see what I'm working on and find ways to engage with me as well. That is awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been such a treat to to chat with you. Um, and I'm really pleased to think of you as one more like shining star in the in the Oakland area that if I ever get to go back, um, I might be able to I'm meet back. and spend time with. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. Thank you so much for having me. And yes, please come visit us again. And I would love to come visit you at some point as well. I mean, you ever make it to New Zealand, you let me know. You can stay with me. I will take you around places. It'll be amazing. (laughs) Okay. We'll definitely let you know. Please. Yes. Awesome. (laughs) Thanks, Edgar. spotlight today is a piece from Rory Porter that was published on TransFocus back in January of 2020. I only came across it recently and I really loved it. It's entitled, I am the plus size trans femme you stared at for too long. Quote, there are three things about my appearance that are very evident at first glance. One, I am trans femme. It is perhaps the most obvious thing people notice about me. I do not pass, nor have I made a passing, nor have I made passing a driving goal in my transition to this point. I may always look trans, and while that causes me some significant discomfort, it is an objective reality of my existence. No amount of griping over it will change that fact, nor will complaining about how I look more quickly afford me the gender-affirming procedures I would like to attain. Transitioning takes time, and I'm highly cognitive of that fact, that for now, my only option is to keep moving through the world in a way that gets me clocked. The alternative, for the record, is to fucking die— and I will not give transphobes the satisfaction of my absence from their world. I am here to participate in the world as myself. Nobody else will do, and anybody who has a problem with that can fuck right off. Number two, I am tall. I think this is the next thing folks notice about me because people, particularly those of short stature, often look up at me as though I am a building, and they are shocked by the scale of it. It is often uncomfortable and always results in dysmorphia. 
my height and the foundational scale of my body are never going to change. And that's something I have to live with despite the intense amount of anxiety and dysmorphia I experience when people want to discuss how tall I am. Number three, and I am fat. The dimensions of my body often seem to be what causes people so much pause. I have had thin cis women laugh at me as I shop plus size sections of stores. I have been treated as an intruder in dressing rooms, even once catching a skinny cis woman asking a dressing room attendant at the department store, why is there a fat guy in here? That I not only have the nerve to be trans, but also fat? It pisses off enough people that I have grown somewhat used to being treated like I am emitting a foul odor in public spaces. People turn up their nose and glower. Some folks daring enough to add words to their disapproval, to let me know that they see me as a man in a dress. The fact that I am trans, tall, and fat are the three things people judge me for most harshly. And yes, I assume people are assholes when they stare. I have to. Projecting goodwill upon someone who has been frowning and hard staring at me for a full five minutes is a practice of ignoring reality, and that does not serve me or keep me safe in in public spaces. I have been told that I deserve to burn to death. I have been told that I am gross. I have been pointed at, laughed at, bumped into with intent, touched without consent, followed to my car, screamed at, and threatened. These things happen to me because the cross-section of who I am as a plus-size trans woman makes some people mad enough to hate me as though I have wronged them. In cases where I have been touched, caressed, or sexually brushed up against in public spaces, it doesn't seem like hatred, but rather a misogynist public ownership over feminine bodies. It probably goes without saying, but every person who has ever touched me without consent was a cisgender man. It's worth noting that since I began transitioning and started dressing femme, I have experienced men intruding upon my personal space in a way that never happened when I pretended to be a man. My sensitivity to shitty treatment in public is not the problem. I am working on how to protect myself without sacrificing one of my great strengths to do so. My sensitive heart is a beautiful and fierce part of who I am as a person, and I refuse to feel shame because assholes use this fact to hurt me. I especially hate the metaphor of growing a thicker skin, especially with the condescending manner in which the declaration is made. I do not need to grow a thicker skin. I need to develop a shield that protects my sensitive skin, something I can put away when I get home. Therapy facilitates this for me. Can you imagine if a dermatologist told a patient that they needed to become rough and desensitized to protect their epidermis and the underlying dermis? Why not just remove the skin entirely and replace it with an exosystem? How much would I miss out on in my life if I grew a permanent callus across my body that prevented me from feeling touch? My sensitive nature is how I feel the world around me, and I am very, very done being told by people that my whole problem is that I'm too sensitive. Fuck that. My sensitive disposition is my greatest strength, and healing myself and growing as a person does not involve shrugging off my personality to better fit into a sick and toxic culture. End quote. Thanks for listening to another episode of Friend of Maryland. Friend of Maryland is brought to you by Manawatu People's Radio, triple nine a.m. If you'd like to contact the show with questions, comments, concerns, or suggestions for topics or guests, you can email us at friendofmaryland at aol.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Closing 
Closing the show is Lizzo with Heaven Help Me. Say whoa, baby, I'm a classic. Say whoa, something like a Hitchcock. Say whoa, got you going psycho. Oh no, don't you get your shit right. Say whoa, catch up with the TikTok. Say whoa, time's up on these motherfuckers. Say whoa, what you say, what you say, sucker. Say whoa. this show and others like it by giving a donation for more information go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate